This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Hey, Naz here. On today's Naz and Wally Sports Hour, we revisit a conversation we had with legendary Blue Jay Tom Henke on August 14, 2016. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Welcome this morning. We have a very special show um, today, and Mark Kennedy's uh, subbing in for Wally. And Wally, uh, I guess you're going to be a great relief pitcher today, Mark. <laughs> where, where is Wally again? He's out on vacation with his family, three weeks, a tour of Europe, from what I understand, and he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And do we know where in Europe he's listening Not in sure, from? Not sure, but he's listening in, I'm we'll sure. We'll track him down. I'm sure he is. With the, with the technology out there today, I'm sure he's listening in somewhere. Yes. We have a real special guest, Tom Hankey, former Blue Jay, Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer, and he's in studio. Tom, how are you this morning? Doing very well, thank you. It's not 100 degrees up here like it is at home in Missouri, so I'm very happy. That, that's, good. that's good. We've had that 100-degree weather here for the last month and a half. Right, Mark? Uh, it's That's pretty true, but, but I have been in Missouri in the summer, and it is like living in an oven. It's quite something. It's definitely warm down there, but you get used to it. Uh, you get acclimated to it. and uh, uh, We've had a pretty, uh, pretty warm, uh, actually a very wet August. Uh, it's, it's, we've had a lot of rain, uh, actually some flooding on the Missouri River and some of the bigger rivers. Uh, but uh, all in all, it's been a pretty good summer. Uh, my Cardinals are not doing as well as the Blue Jays, but I've always uh, been a big Blue Jay fan ever since I was here and, and uh, try to watch them and follow them as close as I can in Missouri, and it looks like they're having a great year. The Cardinals are in a wild-card spot as of last night. They went ahead of Miami, so they're in the hunt for a playoff. It would be nice to see a Toronto-St. Louis uh, World Series, right, Tom? Now, that would be a dream come true for me, uh, getting to play with St. Louis my last year and being a Cardinal fan all my life. Uh, and, then of course, being uh, uh, up here in Toronto and playing for the Blue Jays and, and having the best years of my baseball career right here in Toronto, uh, that would be a dream come true. Somebody said, well, what would you do? I said, well, I'd wear a... Blue Jay jersey and a Cardinal hat and go to the game and I'd be set. You're here for a special reason today. Tell me a bit about why you're here in Toronto. Well, it's the 40th year, I think, of uh, Blue Jays, uh, their anniversary year. And, and uh, I think you're honoring some of the guys that helped uh, put Toronto and the Blue Jays and in, in, uh, in Canada baseball on the map. And I think Pat Hankin and, and Roy Halliday and uh, a few of the other guys, I don't know exactly who's all here, but they're going to honor us out on the field today. And, and uh, uh, you know, when they called me and asked me if I'd come up and be a part of it, I said, you know what, that's uh, – uh, it didn't take me long to say yes. That's fantastic. And I hear you have a lot of friends here, and you're, you're going to end up uh, doing the second love of your life, and that's fishing. 
fishing, I'm sure. Oh, no question. We're going to do some fishing up towards uh, Coburg. I've got a lot of friends up in, uh, in that area. We've got friends over in Kitchener-Waterloo. My wife actually went to Manitoulin Island. Manitoulin Island. Yes, yeah. uh, with uh, some friends of mine. Uh, she's going to spend two or three days up there. Uh, kind of get away from it all. I asked her if she didn't want to come see me on a baseball field. She said no, she had seen enough of that. So <laughs> Now, you started out in uh, with the Blue Jays in Syracuse. Tell me a bit about that. We talked about that prior to the coming on, and it was uh, an interesting story. Uh, you, you were player of the year in the uh, in the International League that year. Tell me a bit about the, the, the stint in Syracuse. It was a, a dream come true. It started in, in, I'll never forget, 1994, between the 94-95 season. I mean, 84-85 season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was still a Texas Ranger when I went to Puerto Rico. And I was playing down there, and uh, the manager called me in the office, and I said, well, I wonder what he wants. And he said, well, you're now the property of the Toronto Blue Jays. And I said, who? You know, and I said, what minor league team is that? You know, and, and at first, you know, but I knew they were a major league team, but I didn't know what to expect. It scared me to death. I'm kind of a creature of uh, uh, comfort and habit, and I like things going well and and getting uprooted from texas i i didn't know what to expect but from the very beginning it was such a wonderful experience uh you know i went to spring training that year really in in almost mid-season form because i was playing in puerto rico and i don't think i gave a run up in spring training and uh, bob gibson told me one time he says everybody has a career year once in their life and uh, I, I think Jake Arietta kind of went through it for about a year where nobody could touch him. And eight, uh, 85 was kind of that type of year for me. Uh, I think I gave up 13 hits in like 56 innings, which is almost unbelievable. Uh, you know, but everything went right. If I gave up a line drive, it was right at somebody. Uh, just uh, everything fell together, came to Toronto. Uh, and uh, it was just a, a dream come true. It was almost a fairy tale. It almost doesn't seem real to this day. That season, you uh, Bill Cottle was signed the year before, I believe, uh, to a multi-year contract. It was a large contract, and uh, he didn't have a good season that, that year, and you came up and replaced him. How long did it take them? Were they talking to you during the season on coming up, or was it just uh here it is Friday, come up and uh, pitch on the weekend type thing. Well, you know, uh, every ball player has an agent. And, you know, mine was trying to get me called up to the big leagues. And I was having uh, that dream year in Syracuse. And, and nobody could hit me. And, and it was just we didn't know what we had to do to get called up. But uh, you mentioned that Bill Caudill had just signed a one of the largest contracts yeah. in baseball at that time. And... You know, it's hard to bring up a guy that nobody knows about. And I'll never forget the article in the Toronto Sun. Uh, uh, I still got that article at home. It uh, it uh, said something about, I forget, John Robertson wrote it. And yeah, it John said, Robertson. Yeah, and it said, Tom who? The, 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 uh, and I don't know if you all remember that article, but, uh, you know, it said that uh, because I, I came over in the compensation pool. And John put in there, well, it shouldn't have been the compensation pool. It should have been the constipation pool. It's not <laughs> worth a, you know, so. And nobody knew who I was. And I was like, wow, you know, this is going to be tough. They, they're on me already. And I haven't even thrown a pitch. But, you know, Bobby Cox gave me the ball and said, hey, we've seen you. We believe in you. 
just show us what you can do. And they gave me the ball in the heat of the pennant race. And, and uh, you know, God gave me the, the ability to be able to go out and, and throw hard and and, uh, and compete. And uh, I never let a lot of things bother me too much. But uh, it, was a, it was just a uh, match, I think, uh, uh, that was meant to be. You you talked about you talked about Puerto Rico and pitching there, and we've had this uh, thing about innings pitch with Sanchez and going to the bullpen, not going to the bullpen. How was it back then that you were able to pitch in Puerto Rico and then come into the come in and pitch during the season, and your arm was fine? What's happened in twenty five di- years? Yeah, it's just a different game. Uh, you know, when I was a closer. You can look at a lot of my years, and I'd get almost 100 innings as a closer, which is unheard of today. Yeah. Uh, I remember a series in Baltimore where I pitched, I think, nine innings in three days. Uh, three day, and, and they would never think about doing that with a closer today. You pitch one or two days in a row, and you got to have a day off. Well, I, I was scared if I got out of the lineup i might not get back in so whenever they asked me hey tom can you pitch i always said yeah sure i'll give me the ball you know so it's just different the way they start even in the minor leagues the pitch counts uh it's just a different game and and uh you know i played with nolan ryan uh who played 27 years in the major leagues pitched till he was 47 years old uh but he pitched all the time i mean i don't know how many games he'd have 160 170 pitches in a game. Hearing the name Bill Cottle reminds me back in the 80s, the Blue Jay fans were certainly starved for someone who came out of the bullpen that you could depend on. And you were saying, Tom, that uh, you were greeted by the Toronto fans right from the beginning as, as, as something special? Oh, it was it was an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. I mean, we I came from Texas where we were lucky to have 10,000 fans in the stands. It was almost like a minor league game. And, uh, you know, coming up here in, in 85, I came up after – and people were watching what I was doing in Syracuse. I know the fans here in Toronto were very attuned to what was happening down there. And, and uh, when I came and pitched in Baltimore and I came back in the first game I got to pitch here in Toronto in Old Exhibition Stadium – they gave me a standing ovation, 55,000 fans, and 10,000 of them couldn't even see the game. It, it amazed the seating, me. yeah. Yeah, the seating was just terrible. And and to have them give me a standing ovation, they wouldn't let me pitch for like five minutes. It seemed like forever. And it was like, wow, Tom, you're in the big leagues. This this is this is pretty amazing, you know. And, and I just fell in love with the city, uh, the fans. Uh, I fell in love with Canada. I mean, all over to this day, I know my wife tells me, she says, when you come home, we have to deflate your head because they make you feel so good up there and treat you so well that you think you're something special. And I and then I have to remind you that you're just Tom. Hey, you're a legend on the road, but at home, it's a different story. Right? That's exactly right. One last question before the break. Uh, 1985, I felt that team had the... Uh had to get up to win the World Series. What did you think, Tom? Oh, there's no question. Uh, to this day, I think we're still one of the best teams that's ever played up here in, in, in Toronto. And if you remember, we played one-man short because we carried Manny Lee as a Rule 5 guy, and and we and he was just an extra guy. So we basically played with a 24-man roster and won uh, 97 or 98 games that year, and, and uh, in a very, very tough uh, American League East. It's always been a tough division. 
But uh, in those days, I mean, Boston and New York and you could go Milwaukee, uh, Baltimore, you go right down the line, and, and it was just a tough division, and, and uh, it, it was lots and lots of fun. Well, we're going to have to take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, at 9.30, we have one of your uh, favorite people coming on the show, and Pat Gillick, the uh, special advisor in the Philadelphia Phillies, former president of the Phillies and the architect of the two World Series. You're listening to a special encore presentation of an interview we had with Tom Hankey in August 2016. More coming up in a moment. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Hey, Naz here. On today's Naz and Wally Sports Hour, we revisit a conversation we had with legendary Blue Jay Tom Henke on August 14, 2016. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back, and we have in studio, as you probably are aware of, Tom Henke former pitcher of the Blue Jays and Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer. About the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, Tom, what did it mean to you to get inducted to the Hall of Fame? Well, it was a... I don't think I was able to keep a dry eye uh, the whole time I had to give a speech. You know, they said, well, you got to give a speech. I said, oh, man, I don't know about this. And and it was it, just thinking back on it, I had my whole family. We brought a bus from my hometown up, and my uh, just about my whole family and part of the town came up uh, to be a part of it. It was an honor that uh, I, to this day, like I said, I still think about it, and uh, to be to be inducted into a country, not just a city or a state, uh, in a country's Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, that's that's an honor that's, that's hard to top. 1987, uh, I think uh, that was the collapse, right, with the Tigers? Yes. Year. How, did, how, did, how did you guys feel at that time? It must have been demoralizing because you guys were like up five games with seven left or some crazy thing like that with eight games. And then it turned out to be the final game on the Sunday that Detroit won the, uh, won the final game. It, what was that go- like going through? That, 
that was as tough a stretch as I think. And I didn't get to pitch the last seven days. We were always down. We lost seven one-run games, and we were always down at the end of the game. So I never, I was never, never able to get into a game that last seven. And uh, we lost four in a row in Milwaukee. I think it was Milwaukee, and then we lost three in a row in Detroit, and uh, we lost it on the last game of the year. And and to that point, we were, you know, personally, I made the All Star game in that that year for the Blue Jays. Uh, personally, it was one of my best years uh, statistically, uh, but it it was it was hard to take, and you know, it made it for a long, long winter. Uh, but I guess it made us hungrier too. We. Uh, every year we were in the race. I don't think I think I heard a statistic last year. Somebody said in the stretch between 1985 and, and 1992 or 93, there was only a half a dozen games that meant nothing. I mean, yeah. that's pretty amazing if you think about it. Yeah, that, is, that, uh, is. that meant nothing where you know there was nothing on the line. So uh, I think we gave the fans, in those years, uh, some great baseball. Uh, we didn't win it every year, but we were there with the opportunity to have a chance to win it, and uh, that's all you can ask for. So the next year, they brought uh, Jimmy Williams back. He was the manager. They let him go. You guys were at 12 and 24. You brought in a fellow who was the batting coach and a real good batting coach. As a matter of fact, he should be giving credit for your Jose Batista turning around because he turned him around when he was the batting coach again with the Jays, Cito Gaston. What did Cito Gaston mean to you guys? Cito was uh, the best manager I ever played for, and I played for some great ones. I played for Joe Torre, uh, Don Zimmer. Uh, you go right on down the line and, and uh, you know, some Hall of Fame guys. Uh, Cito, he was, he was a good man. He was almost like your dad. Yeah, you know where you could go in and talk to him, but Dad sometimes would have a little discipline waiting for you too. So uh, he was one of those guys that uh, was very quiet. He wasn't one of those big yellers. Uh, didn't have a lot of team meetings, but when he spoke, people listened because uh, of just his credentials, uh, what he had done. Uh, to this day, I, I have nothing but fond memories of Cito. He gave me a lot of opportunities to, to be able to succeed. And, uh, you know, there were some tough times where struggling a little bit, but he always put me back out there. He says, I believe in you, and uh, it's something that uh, I'll be forever grateful. Now, uh, you guys made a trade with San Diego with Alomar and Carter for Griffin, uh, sorry, uh, Fernandez. And uh, McGriff, yes. right? What did that mean, having those guys come in? Well, that was kind of a turnaround. Uh, Robbie, of course, you know, Robbie, it's it's amazing. When I played in Puerto Rico in 1984, Robbie was a bat boy. Oh, wow. He was a kid down there, and I played with his brother Sandy and his dad. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing because he's a great guy. And to have that kind of quality, I mean, his career speaks for itself. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, deservably so. I mean, uh, and then Joe Carter. Joe and I played against each other for years and years and years in the minor leagues. He was with the Cubs organization, and I came up through the Rangers organization. We played against each other for a long time, and Joe was one of those guys that you knew was a team player. Uh, he had great ability, and he, he brought that with him, 
and he was able to uh, uh, help us get over that top. I have a more current question, um, and I'll try and keep my opinion out of it. That's hard to do, though. Well, well go ahead. Well, you can go ahead. When you mention Jose Batista, there was the whole controversy of the bat flip. And here we are talking to Tom, and I'm sure there are times in which Tom has given up. Uh, he's a legend, so we shouldn't bring up the fact that at least once he gave up a home run. But you give up that home run ball. From a pitcher point of view, does it affect you what the batter does? Like, was that bat flip as offensive to the Texas Rangers as they let on after all these months? Well, you know, I'm an old school guy, you know, and I watched Nolan Ryan thump uh, Ventura that time after he gave up a home run. So, you know, I, I, you know, I have my opinions on that too. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I was a blue collar. I never showed people up. When I struck somebody out, I didn't shoot them down. I didn't uh, uh, pump my fist at them and shake my finger at them and everything. And that's kind of what you do when you do something like that. And and some guys are more excitable. Some guys are, uh, go ahead, I see you got an opinion coming. Well, here's my argument. (laughs) You're a young athlete or a young person watching television, and you see someone dunk in the NBA, and you think, well, here comes the celebration. And I'm old school. I can remember seeing a sack in football in which they would sack the quarterback and then just go back to to their huddle. But now a sack means a celebration dance. The NFL fights with the players about what they allow on the touchdown celebration. But celebrations as part of the other sports in North America is acceptable. And I think baseball might be having a difficulty holding their players to a more sedate, restrained... You know, if you played basketball the day before and now you're playing baseball, it's possible to forget, hey, I just hit a home run, but the rules of baseball say I must do it within a certain set of rules. That, that's my take on it. Well, everybody's a different person. I mean, everybody's an individual. Uh, I wasn't as excitable as maybe Jose. I mean, this, from what I understand, that's kind of his demeanor. He, so to me, it's okay if that's the way you play, but some, then you have to accept the consequences. Some guys don't like that. And uh, just like Nolan Ryan and, and, and Ventura, the next time he got drilled, and nobody's trying to hurt anybody, but they send a message, you know, that, hey, we didn't appreciate that. Uh, I kind of thought it was okay, be honest. Now, if I was pitching and he would have did that to me, then we may have had issues the next time we come around. But that's my own personal opinion. Uh, but I do respect him as a ball player and, and his his abilities, too. And sitting next to you and seeing your, your, your impressive size, uh, I could not imagine. Well, first of all, I could not imagine getting a hit against you anyway. But... Uh, I would not dance if I hit a home run. But maybe I would, and then I would run out of the stadium and go home. You'd be running out of the stadium, Mark. (laughs) No, it's a fun game, and there's so many different personalities in it. Uh, You know, it's fun to watch because you never know what you're going to see out there. And I know Texas didn't appreciate it, but they have that old school. Some of those guys have that old school mentality. And uh, 
whether it's right or wrong, uh, you know, we I was involved in several brawls, uh, you know, with the Blue Jays. We used to have a, a big feud with Tony Larusa and the Oakland A's, and and uh, I remember getting in a brawl with them. And and uh, who did you pair off with? Uh, Carney Lansford. And, oh, that's and, not too bad. Now, you didn't have Conseco or McGuire. Well, I had Conseco and McGuire <laughs> holding me, and uh, Dave Stewart. If you remember Dave, Dave oh, yeah, and I played in Texas, yeah. and uh, you know. It's part. It's part of the game. Uh, even the umpires and then kind of the switch. You know the instant replay. It's good in some things, but I still like to see the arguments. You know the old yes. Billy Martin, uh, yeah. uh, Earl Weaver. Yeah. Uh, you know I thought that was kind of baseball too. That was part of baseball, and 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 uh, I am a fan of getting the call right. But it's taken all that out of the game. Uh, I mean, you just don't see the arguments anymore. And, and people say, well, that's good. You don't want to see the arguments. But I don't know. I'm, I'm an old school guy. And, and uh, I, I used to just get tickled when Billy Martin would turn his hat around and get in the guy's face. Yeah, and, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it was, it was just a show, really. Now, uh, I, I have a comparison to make. Maybe I'm wrong in this, but I have a – I think Bautista and George Bell are – Pretty well the same type of players. What do you think, Tom? Well, <laughs> now I don't know who I'm going to get mad if I start making <laughs> comparisons like that. But uh, George was a teammate, and I said it at his Hall of Fame induction. George is a guy you'd want in your in your foxhole if you were going to war. I mean, he was a guy the opposition hated him. But and I'm sure Jose is the same way. Yeah. Your teammates love you because you've got that passion, that fire to want to play and play hard and play the game right. And George did. Uh, George wanted to play the game right. His communication skills were something to be desired. Uh, uh, or he lacked a little bit in his uh, his English. Of course, I do too. I don't quite speak the Queen's English here, but uh, uh, it's it's you know George got himself in trouble several times where he said things. And I think it was just taken the wrong way, and and uh, but he was a heck of a teammate. We have somebody special on the phone, Tom. Pat Gillick, how are you? Pat, are you there? I'm here. How are you Pat, doing, Nav? Good, Pat. How are you? I'm doing well. We have Tom Hankey in studio. Say hi to Tom. Tom, how you doing? How's your family? Everybody's good, Pat. Everybody's good. Uh, Kathy came up with me, and and uh, she went on vacation, and now I got to work. <laughs> well, good to hear your voice. Well, it's always good to hear yours. Uh, you were probably the biggest instrument to getting me over here in Toronto, and I'll always be grateful. And and uh, it was something that I'll never forget. Pat, we were. Well, uh, we were... I always be grateful for the type of uh, person you are. The, the role model that you set, your whole family, and, and naturally it was a lot of fun, uh, you know, uh, winning those championships. But, uh, you know, we couldn't have done it without you and, uh, and Wardo. But in the back end back there, you guys were great. Thank Pat, you. Pat, we were trying to figure out, Tom and I, were to, when Mark were talking earlier about how Tom came over to Toronto in, uh, in the, uh, I guess it was in a uh, draft. And he was not the first guy that you guys wanted. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Uh, it was. It's kind of a complicated situation because things have changed since when Tom came over. Uh, at, at that time, as compensation uh, for losing a free agent, uh, you got to take a player off another team's roster. And so consequently, uh, 
the compensation was a, was a little better for the club losing the free agent. Now uh, you get a draft choice instead of a uh, a major league free agent. But the club was was able to freeze 15 players, and then after those 15 players, uh, you could select a player off the roster, and uh, and that's how it happened. But we uh, were looking at someone else, and um, that player. It was another complicated situation. Was that. He was on Montreal, and um, once a player was taken from Montreal, that froze that roster. So just before we picked, uh, St. Louis uh, selected a player off Montreal, so that froze the roster. And thank goodness for us, uh, with a lot of good luck, um, our our second pick was Tom, and we got Tom from Texas. That's good. Now I got to ask you a question because uh, you have uh, you brought Ishiro into the major leagues. Is that correct? In two thousand and one. Well, right yeah, I, I did. I was over there when he came in. Uh, really, the guy who uh, really pushed for it was a former major league pitcher who Tom knows, uh, Jim Colburn. He was our scout with Seattle in in the Pacific Rim, and uh, in fact, Jim had uh, been a pitching coach in Japan for a couple years with the same club that uh, that Ichiro was with, which was the Oryx Blue Wave. So he knew uh, he knew Itch uh, just on a personal basis. So Tom was, uh, pardon me, Jim was the guy that was really uh, pushing Ichiro, and then, uh, you know, we stepped up and paid the posting fee. Now, he has 3,002 hits, I think, now. Uh, I looked at his stats, and he started when he was 27 year old, years old. Do you think he would have had a shot at uh, Pete Rose's all-time record? Uh, yeah, I think we'd had a shot. You know, he had 1,200 hits in Japan, um, but you know, I don't know how what kind of hitter he was early in his career. Sometimes, uh, as you get you know over 25, you become a better hitter, more selective hitter. Uh, so I don't know what kind of hitter he was in Japan and how he would compete here in the U.S. But you know, having 3,000 hits, uh, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to anticipate that if he played another five or six years over here. Uh, if he had 100, 125 hits a year, you'd probably be 37, 3,800. So he would certainly, I would think, be approaching, uh, you know, where Pete is. Now, we, let's go back to the 92 World Series, uh, Pat. Uh, what did Tom Hankey mean to you guys coming in? <laughs> well, I tell you what, as I said at the top of the show, I mean, we wouldn't have won it uh, without our bullpen, and we wouldn't have won it without without Tom and, and Wardo down there. And to have somebody, um, the important thing is to win the games you should win. Uh, and what I mean by that, there's some games that you just don't let it get, get away from you. And that's that's what Tom, uh, you know, did in the back end of the bullpen. The games that we were supposed to win, we won. Uh, we didn't let very many get away from us. There's going to be the odd one that does get away from you. But, uh, you know, nothing can really affect a whole team morale is is losing games uh, in the last inning, being ahead or fighting back and, and, and being ahead in the game and then losing it. So consequently, it's very important not only, you know, for the win, but also for the, the, the team morale and the chemistry on the club that, uh, you know, look, if we get back on the eighth or ninth inning, we got two guys that back there that, uh, you know, are going to sew this thing up for us. I have a question for both uh, Pat and Tom. We were talking about this earlier, Naz. Um, we're, we're at Zoomer Radio, which means we are just above the old GO station, and we are um, meters 
to be Canadian away from the old Exhibition Stadium, I guess, for both Pat and Tom. Uh, favorite memory of Exhibition Stadium, and I'm sure there's a worst memory, too. <laughs> well, my, my favorite memory, and I mentioned uh, a little while ago, was the first game I pitched there. Uh, you know, coming out of Baltimore, where we had, uh, I think, swept the Baltimore Orioles there and had a trouble winning there. Uh, and then coming back for the first time pitching in front of the Canadian fans and the Toronto fans, uh, giving me a standing ovation for like five minutes and not letting me pitch. And uh, it was just one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen uh, in my life. And then, of course, winning the uh, division that year uh, was a dream come true, too. But you were saying earlier, too, that you were amazed that uh, because of the uh, design, to use the word loosely, um, sort of the football side of Exhibition Stadium, um, as the tickets got cheaper, it got further and further away from, from home plate uh, to the point that you thought some people were maybe not in the same time zone. Oh yeah, they 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 were some of them. I don't think could even see the game, and and uh, but I gave up a ball or two that would reach all of them out there. So uh, you know, it it was uh, one of those deals. It was a uh, it's it's a place that I'll always live in my memory is uh, really the first place that I got the opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. Pat, have you ever seen a six man rotation? Pat, are you there? Hello, I didn't hear you. I got distracted for a minute. That's okay. Have you ever heard of a six-man rotation in what Toronto's doing right now? Uh, you know, I I probably have, but I can't really recall a six-man rotation. Um, I mean, I think the, during the time that the thinking about the period Tom and I were together, I, I don't, I can't remember a six-man rotation in there. Uh, we always talked about some some ways going back to a four man rotation, uh, but but I never I never heard of a six man rotation. Uh, but this is a new uh, it's a new generation. It's a new way they're they're playing baseball. It's it's a little different uh, a little different style, and, and the way they go about things is a little different now than uh, you know than when we were playing twenty years ago. Uh, it's it, it, there's been a lot of changes made. Now you were a pitcher yourself uh, in, in the in the AAA. I guess you played in the International League at one time, right? Now, uh, how come all these pitchers are going down with uh, not all these pitchers, but there's quite a few pitchers going down with Tommy John surgery. They need Tommy John surgery. What's happened from then and when you were pitching and now? Let Hanky into that one. <laughs> Well, you know, I've got my own personal opinions on that. Uh, you know, I think the kids nowadays are, some of them are worn out. I watched some of the kids, uh, my nephew, for example, pitched a lot, lot more at an early age than what I did. And and I don't know if the arms, you know, I had somebody tell me once, you only got so many pitches in your arm. And when you use them all up, uh, it wears out. And I don't know what the answer to that is. That would be my own personal opinion. Some, I mean, it starts at an early age, uh, seven, eight years old. These kids are p- playing 50, 60 games a summer. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I played 
10, 15 games in a summer and a high school season uh, combined. And so uh, you just wonder if, if, if uh, they, the kids, when they get a little bit older, and, they, and like I said, you've only got so many pitches in your arm now. There's no scientific evidence on that, but that's just my opinion. Pat, yeah, I have to, uh, I'm glad, Tom. I, uh, that's kind of the way I feel. Um, I wasn't very good uh, in the other sports, but I played three sports in high school. And uh, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And I wasn't very good in football or basketball, but I did play. I didn't play baseball year-round. I played what was in season. Uh, I had a great time playing all three of them, enjoyed playing three sports. But as Tom said, um, some of these young people right now, uh, they're going at it nine, ten months a year. Uh, not only do they have the baseball season, they go into a fall program, then they go to, into a winter inside program. And uh, they're going for eight, nine, ten months a year, playing on traveling teams, playing 60 games. Um, we used to just go out and have fun and play ball. I think a, a lot of this competition, and I'm, I'm not against competition, but a lot of intense competition day in and day out. I don't know if it's good. I always tell the kids, hey, the, the main thing is when you're young, you know, enjoy the game, have fun, go out and play. Uh, don't put too much stress on yourself. And, and I think it's, uh, again, I think there's maybe too much emphasis on doing this on a year-round basis. But, you know, that's what we got into really in, in, in a lot of sports is that you've got to specialize. If you play football, you play football. Basketball, you play basketball. And baseball, you play baseball. So that's where I think a lot of the changes have happened. You have very few uh, three-sport athletes any longer. Pat, the rebuilding has started in Philadelphia, and uh, it looks like they're uh, going to be a good team in the next two or three years. Uh, how is it going there in Philly? It's going, it's going well. I mean, uh, the, the difficult thing I say to the people, it's very difficult to be patient. It's, it's difficult for the owners to be patient, the fans, the media. Uh, but you have to be patient. It takes, it takes time for the young people to develop, get their feet on the ground. And so, uh, you know, we're happy. We're, we're about where we thought we would be. Uh, you know, our goal this year is to win 70 games. We're around 55 at the moment. So, um, you know, we'd like to win more than 70, but I say 70 is realistic, I think, under our program. So, consequently, I think we'll need this year and 2017, and by come 2018, uh, you know, we should be competitive and, and, and be up there with uh, the first couple of three teams in the division. Can anybody beat the Cubs? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, uh, the, the Cubs, if you, my, my own opinion, if the Cubs got, you got the right pitching, uh, you can beat the Cubs. And uh, what I say, we have the right pitching, people that can pitch a little bit, people that can break speeds, uh, and people that can locate, um, I think I think the Cubs are going to have a little bit of trouble. Uh, there are a lot of young guys. There are a lot of dead fastball, dead red hitters uh, in the lineup. And as I said, if you get somebody that can locate the ball and change speeds, uh, I think you got a chance against the Cubs. Pat, what happened to Liriano? You, you being in the National League, you must have seen him pitch quite a few times with Pittsburgh. What happened to his uh, game and how it drops? That? Liriano. The pitcher, the the Jays guy. I, have, from I had uh, I I saw the first time I've seen him pitch this year was on TV the other night when he pitched for the Blue Jays. But um, I haven't. Uh, I'm doing mostly amateurs over here and concentrate on high school and collegiate and and Latin America. So I don't see the big league club a lot. So I can't. Uh, 
I can't really give an opinion on Liriano. And are you surprised at Jay Happ's performance as a Blues? Um, yeah, I am. Uh, you know, originally he was originally a Philly, and we traded him to Houston uh, in in a deal. I can't remember if it was in the Oswald deal or the Pence deal, one of those deals. We traded him when we were in the middle of those division runs. And from a makeup standpoint and as a person, he's a first-class guy. Uh, they don't come much better. I mean, they're out of that same elk as Henke. Great, great kid. Uh, but, you know, he, something all of a sudden has clicked. And somebody told me one time some kids develop at 21 and some develop at 28, 29. And so it seems in his particular case he's a rather late developer. But I am surprised but quite happy that, that he's doing well and quite happy he's doing well for the Blue Jays. Well, it seems like Tom Henke and uh, Jay Happ were the same pitchers because you developed at the same time, Tom. Yeah, it was later in my career. I think I was 27, 26, 27 when I finally came over here and uh, was given the opportunity. And, yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And sometimes it changes scenery. Uh, You know, I was in Texas. Uh, Doug Rader didn't like me. Uh, I was kind of in the doghouse there. And every time I pitched, there was a lot of pressure uh, from the – the the main people that uh, I needed to perform and when I came here they just gave me the ball and said hey Tom we know what you can do just go out there and show us and and uh, so the change of scenery coming up here uh, was almost a breath of fresh air for me and and it uh, you know the the whole organization took me in uh, from the minor leagues on up to the big league level and uh, just helped me in every aspect of my game. So uh, yeah, sometimes just a change of scenery helps. Pat, thanks very much for, for this, and uh, it's very nice to, for you to come on the show again. Thank you very much. No, anytime, and uh, thank you very much. And, Tom, listen, best to Kathy and the family, and, and take care, and I hope to see you down the road. But, again, nice being on with you. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate everything. That was Pat Gillick. You're listening to a special encore presentation of an interview we had with Tom Hankey in August 2016. More coming up in a moment. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced their loyalty program, but some listeners thought I was saying royalty program. <clears throat> to be clear, Pizzaville cannot get you into the royal family. Stop that. However, after your sixth online order, you'll get a large pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. And that'll make you feel like a king or queen. Oh, boy. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. 
This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Hey, Naz here. On today's Naz and Wally Sports Hour, we revisit a conversation we had with legendary Blue Jay Tom Henke on August 14, 2016. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Real thanks to Pat Gillick. That was great. Uh, he called in, Tom. That, that's... Uh... You, you got along very well, I've noticed. Yes, Pat was a great man. Uh, he he uh, he gave me my big break over here in Toronto. Uh, believed in me. Um, you know, they gave me the ball when I came over, and, and the rest is history. But if it wouldn't be for Pat, I wouldn't be sitting here right now today. Mark, you were going to bring up this, uh, Prince Fielder. Yes, I, I, as I do on Sunday, I read my Sunday New York Times, and uh, there was an article on Prince Fielder who just announced his retirement a few days ago. Um, I was shocked because, of course, Naz, we, we are, we're of the generation where we remember his father, so now we're feeling very old when the, um, the children of, of athletes we know are in the retired stage. But uh, it's, it's a sad story because of his um, physical ailments had, had uh, sort of taken away his career. I think he's only 32. 32 years old. Yeah. 32 years old. And um, you were pointing out his uh, home run record is the same as his father's? Yeah, he retired and uh, the home runs was 317 for both guys. Wow, that's pretty amazing. You know, I remember Prince when he was sitting on my lap down here, you know, and, and playing with his dad, Cecil, and and uh, just a happy-go-lucky kid. And it, it's, uh, I know I haven't read a lot about the story, but I did hear that he was retiring because of some uh, health issues. And it, it's sad, you know, but uh, uh, sometimes uh, you pay for your sins, you know. And I had an old farmer tell me one time, he said, if I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, it's just one of those deals that you play as long as you can, as hard as you can. And uh, I was lucky to play till I was almost 38 years old. And, uh, you know, it's uh, everybody's different. And you went out on a high. You you had a great season with St. Louis. What made you quit? Well, my family, they didn't make me quit. Uh, my wife wouldn't appreciate me saying they made, <laughs> I made, they made me quit. But, you know, I was always, family was number one in my life. Uh, and uh, my kids were starting high school. I was 38. I could feel it slipping away. I went from throwing 100 miles an hour to uh, 91, 92, 93 uh, my last year. But I was very proud of the fact that even though my physical ability was, I could feel it slipping away, I was still able to do the same job. And, and I won a Roll Age Relief Award in 95 with the Cardinals, uh, played in the All-Star team, uh, a game for them. Uh, it was almost a dream year. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it was one of those deals that everything went right again. I just wanted one last good year that my family could come and watch every game in St. Louis. And they could. I, I never left the ballpark probably before 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning because there was always somebody there that wanted to talk and, and visit. And, and uh, so I made – 
uh, I made my decision early that, hey, this good or bad, it was going to be my last year. And it could have been a bad year, but uh, I was very fortunate. The good Lord gave me one last good year to kind of go out on. And I'd always admired guys that could leave the game with maybe a little gas left in the tank. And, and uh, I was able to do that. You told us earlier you met your legendary guy in St. Louis in the bullpen. Tell me a bit about Bob Gibson. Well, Bob Gibson was a guy that I watched as a kid. Uh, you know, uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, he, he was a power pitcher. Uh, he was supposedly one of the meanest guys on the mound. Now, I never found that to be true. He was uh, just an ordinary guy. He always said, well, you know, I pitched inside because I was trying to protect my livelihood outside. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, I had a guy tell me in A-ball, he says, if you don't pitch inside, you're going to die right here in A-ball because you have to be able to keep guys off that outside part of the plate. And uh, Bob said, that's just what I was doing. I wasn't trying to hit guys. But to get to sit next to him in 1995, my last year, I was scared to talk to him. Uh, you know, this is a Hall of Famer. This is a guy that has major league record upon major league record. Uh, somebody I watched as a kid growing up, and and I, I was sitting next to him, and I was like, wow. I told Walt Jockety at the time, who was the general manager, I said, you wouldn't have to pay me a dime to play this year. He said, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> I said, well, you'd have probably taken me up on it. So, uh, But what a dream come true, you know, for a, a mid-Missouri boy to have Lou Brock as your your bench coach, you know, and I carried my bat around with me in spring training the whole time. And he, every time he sees me, he asks me if I still got my bat Mm -hmm. because I only got one at bat in the big leagues. And that's a story in itself. What uh, what happened at the one at bat? Oh, I got up and I was facing Todd Jones with the Houston Astros. Todd Jones, yeah. Yeah, the closer. Yeah, and and Joe Torre told me, he says, don't worry, Lee Smith was here eight years or whatever, and he never had to bat as a closer. And so I, it was about the fifth or sixth game of the year, and it's in April. It's pretty cold in Missouri and yet. And, and I'm sitting there, and I went in the eighth inning and got two outs in the eighth, and I was waiting to go out in the ninth. And, and uh, all of a sudden, Ozzie Smith comes running, and he goes, you're up. You know, I was leading off, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a bat. I don't have a helmet, so I'm running around trying to find all this stuff, and, and I finally get there, and, and uh, uh, I to make a long story short, Joe Torrey told me, he says, just take three pitches and come sit down because you got to pitch a ninth. Well, I took the first two. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, and then and the umpire – uh, they were all laughing because they put on the board Tom Hankey's first at bat in 16 professional years. And and uh, the first pitch, I told him, I said, you know, that sounded a little high. And, <laughs> and we we were having fun with it. And I thought, you know what? You only go, may only get to do this once ever. Just swing. Go down swinging. So I fouled off eight pitches. Oh, wow. wow. And I flew out to right field into a standing ovation in Bush Stadium for flying out. Probably the only player in the history of Bush Stadium to get a standing ovation for flying out. Now, we know all about the Toronto franchise, but one thing about St. Louis, I noticed they always have competitive teams. Why is that, Tom? They've got a great organization. Uh, I've told people, if you want to model your organization after a... I mean, look at what St. Louis does. They seem like they bring up good people to, you know, you're always going to have injuries, and that's the that's the key to having a great 
season is having those people be able to step in and not miss a lick when you know when uh, uh, when you're having troubles with injuries. So St. Louis has a great organization, uh, first class all the way. They really take care of their alumni. They, I played there one year, and they treat me like I was there my whole life. And uh, uh, you know, to, to finish that story though. That wasn't the end of the story because I flew out. Yeah, and, yeah, go ahead. And and they foul. I fouled the ball off my hands and off the end of the bat, and it's cold, so I couldn't even feel my hands when I went out and pitched. And I walked the bases loaded, <laughs> and uh, I uh, got out of it. Believe it or not, I think I gave up a line drive double play to Ozzie Smith, and then I got the last out, and I got out of it. And Joe Torrey met me at the top of the uh, dugout, and he says, "Now I understand." But next time I tell you to take three pitches, pitches you take three pitches. So, uh, but it was fun. Uh, it was a good time in St. Louis. It was uh, quite an honor to play for them. Uh, but again, my best years, my best memories are right here in Toronto. Uh, all the teammates I I played with and and uh, uh, people I played for, as coaches, uh, some of them my best friends, uh, and and I've got great friends it's just like family when i come back up here yeah i think the uh two biggest ovations today will be you and halliday i just have that feeling you're a very popular guy here and uh everybody loves tom hankey that's for sure they've always treated me unbelievable uh you know i said it a while ago you know i come up here and i go back home and i think i'm something special when i go home and then i find out pretty quick i'm just Tom at home, and and that's good too. So, uh, but they treat me unbelievably good here. Uh, it's always a pleasure to come back, and I know Roy. Uh, he had a tremendous career up here, and and uh, Dwayne and Pat Hinkin and all the guys that are here, Dave Steeb, uh, all had great careers here, and uh, it was a great place to play. Great place to play baseball, raise your family. Uh, like I said, I've still got. So many friends here and uh, people that are like family to me here uh, that it's always a, a joy and a pleasure to come back. How did you get the nickname Terminator? That's a Wally question. So, Wally, if you're hearing this, that's for you, Tom. How did you get the name Terminator? Well, 1985, the movie The Terminator came out with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, my best, probably one of my best friends in the game, God bless him, John Cerruti. Oh, and John, you all yeah. remember John. And yeah. John and I were kind of the odd couple. We roomed in, in spring training, and he was a real neat guy. And, and I was kind of like Oscar and Felix, you know. And, and uh, But John and I have become great friends. And uh, John and I went seeing the movie. And, you know, I was having a phenomenal year in, in Syracuse. I mean, just didn't hardly give up a hit and striking everybody out. And John said, man, you're like that Terminator guy, you know. And, <laughs> and he started calling me the Terminator in, in uh, Syracuse. And Rick Leach and the whole team started. And it kind of followed me up to the big leagues. And, and uh, I, I promise you, I've been called a lot worse, So uh, <laughs> especially in New York and Boston. So uh, it, it uh, was a, uh, quite an honor to have a nickname like that. And uh, um, you know, it was just hopefully I was able to live up to that that uh, moniker. So, Mark, one last question for Tom. Oh, um, we're wrapping up. We got a minute left. Are there bobbleheads today? And if so, is yours the tallest? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> might have the biggest bobblehead. And, and my kids would say, Dad, you got the biggest head because my hat size was fairly good size. But uh, uh, I do have a statue and I do have a bobblehead uh, at home uh, from a minor league team that made one of me. And uh, But uh, uh, no, I don't think it's the tallest one. <laughs> I'm surprised too. Tom, thanks very much for coming in. This was this was great. I hope you you seem relaxed and you enjoyed yourself, did you? Oh, no question. I appreciate you having me. It's always good to talk to the fans here in Toronto, uh, in Canada. Uh, you know, it's uh, the, Toronto has a unique opportunity to play for a country. Not just one city. I mean, I can go to British Columbia or on the East Coast, Newfoundland. I mean, anywhere in Canada, they recognize me. And uh, that's where it's very unique and very special because, you know, in the States, you play for a city. Now, the Cardinals, they have probably one of the biggest fan bases in baseball, uh, you know, because they do a lot of different states. But uh, playing for a country, I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. My pleasure. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.